morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Wednesday, November 30th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Tomorrow, December 1st, is World AIDS Day. In Africa, gender inequalities are putting girls and women at a higher risk of being infected with HIV, and this lies in the gender inequalities in society. Kenya's cabinet secretaries to forfeit one-month salary in support of drought victims. Namibia's ruling party chooses its first female presidential candidate. Cameroon separatists respond to the U.S. arrest and indictment of three of their fundraisers. I was served a warrant, and the warrant said something to the point that some equipment had been supplied to my residence and the search needed to be done immediately before it was removed. And Senegal advances to the World Cup knockout round as Uganda is on security alert during the tournament. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. executive director of the United Nations AIDS Agency, UNIT, says gender and other inequalities are slowing progress towards ending the pandemic as a public health threat by 2030. Ahead of tomorrow, Thursday, World AIDS Day, the agency released a report entitled Dangerous Inequalities, in which it called for global action to tackle these disparities. Executive Director Winnie Bianyima tells me that for Africa, these inequalities impact girls and women the most. In Africa, where I am right now, gender inequalities are putting girls and women at a higher risk of being infected with HIV. And this lies in the gender inequalities in society. The fact that girls in the age bracket of 15 to 24, we are seeing the highest number of infections in this region. Three out of four new infections are of girls, young women, between 15 and 24. And this is to do with inequalities, sexual violence in society that's driven by patriarchal attitudes a justification of unwanted sex. This is it. It is because girls are not in school. I'm sitting in a country where 60% of children who should be in secondary school are not. And that means that girls are out there fetching firewood, fetching water, trading in the market, and are victims of abuse that is tolerated in society. So. We need to close those inequalities for girls, get them in school. Then when it comes to services, make services friendly and available to young people, particularly girls and young women. And this means handing them the ability to make services and design them to work for themselves. If we want to end pandemics, AIDS or any other, we must equalize in law and in enjoyment of rights. I wanted to ask uh, Winnie because I also read where your organization saying AIDS-related mortality has declined by 57% among women and girls and by 47% among men and boys since 2010. Uh, what do you think account for this progress and how can it be maintained? It comes primarily from gender identity. You see, women and girls are generally better at health seeking, they will come forward and be tested much earlier. And if they find their HIV positive, 
will go on treatment and stay on treatment. On the other hand, we find that men have a notion of masculinity that tells them that they are invincible. They do not seek health easily. They tend to show up when they are in late stages and are dying. So we try to really work on their gender identity to understand that being a strong man doesn't mean not seeking health, not taking tests. The United States has had this uh, president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, PEFAR. Is that making any contribution? And what do you think the role of governments in terms of maintaining this progress you talk about? The United States government has the largest bilateral program for fighting HIV AIDS. The United States has been a global leader on HIV AIDS for the longest time, more than 20 years. And we have countries whose HIV response is funded largely by the United States government. Before I let you go, Winnie, you you mentioned dangerous inequalities. What message on this world is there do you want to leave about how to address these dangerous inequalities? Here's my message, that to end AIDS, indeed to beat any pandemic, you need global solidarity to challenge and close the inequalities that drive a pandemic such as AIDS. We need to close the gender inequalities that are putting girls and women in Africa at very high risk. We need to repeal those criminal laws that put gay men, sex workers, people who inject drugs for personal use, puts them at risk and away from services that they deserve as citizens. We need to fight stigma and discrimination that takes away the citizens' rights of people and forces them to go away from life-saving services. And we need to have equal access to the latest science. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I am always appreciative to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, James, for having me. Winnie Bianyiman is the executive director of the United Nations AIDS Agency Units. She was speaking with us from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. The longtime spokesperson of the self-proclaimed Republic of Ambazonia says the arrest and indictment by the U.S. Justice Department of three U.S. citizens of Cameroon descent will not deter the separatist movement from fighting for their freedom from what he calls French Cameroon. Instead, Chris Anu, the former Secretary of State for Communication for the group, says the arrest will provoke more determination. According to Reuters, the three men are accused of soliciting and raising more than $350,000 for supplies, weapons, and explosives to be used against the government of Cameroon. Reuters says the three also planned to kidnap and hold ransom civilians in Cameroon to fund the separatist fighters of the Ambazonia Restoration Forces. Spokesperson Anu tells me that federal agents also raided his home in Houston, Texas, early Monday morning and took away communication equipment, including a computer, laptop, and cell phone. Yesterday, Monday, about quarter to six in the morning here in Houston, Texas, about a dozen Homeland Security SWAT team invaded my home, raided it, and uh, 
went away with every piece of computer, cell phone, and uh, uh, laptop that I had in my premises. Chris, were you served a warrant? And what did the warrant say? I was served a warrant, and the warrant said something to the point that some equipment had been supplied to my residence, and the search needed to be done immediately before it was removed. There is an article I have in front of me by Reuters, and it talks about the arrest of three U.S. citizens of uh, Cameroonian origin, arrested and charged with uh, raising funds for separatist fighters in the Central African country, Cameroon. Are you aware of this? I'm aware of this, of that. I have read it, but uh, let me say they are not actually Cameroonian citizens per se. That report is inaccurate. They are Ambazonian citizens picked up by uh, the Justice Department and uh, levied the allegations that you are referring to. I hope that they are going to substantiate it because... I read this story, they're talking about money, loan, and other stuff. Well, we're waiting to see the evidence. That's what I can say right now. So you know the individuals, have they been raising money for your movement? The movement as a whole raises money. I am not aware of any individual, particular individual, raising money for the struggle. According to the Reuters story, have been kidnapping individuals and holding them for ransom. Is your organization involved in such thing? Or first of all, comment on this. Our organization is totally against any form of kidnapping and ransom taking, and we have been very vocal about that. And you go on the social media, YouTube, you look at our broadcast, we have condemned it again and again and again because it does not further our cause. It only discourages people from supporting the cause. So again, the Justice Department would have to prove that these three young men were sponsoring kidnapping and ransom taking. But that is not to say that kidnapping and ransom taking is not going on. Of course, we know it is there. But the question is, who is doing it? That is what we hope that the Justice Department uh, proves. So, Chris, uh, what do you think uh, this indictment and the raid on your house, what do these developments mean for your movement? It does not deter us by any means. America is a beacon of democracy and countries have been born out of this uh, nation. The good thing also is that America is not a banana republic like uh, French Cameroon with your vegetable president who will pick up people and sentence them without taking them to court. That is why we are not deterred. Chris Anu is the Secretary of State for Communication of the self-proclaimed Republic of Ambazonia. You are speaking with us from the U.S. city of Houston in Texas. Kenya's cabinet members will forego their first salary payment since they took office as individual and collective contributions towards government relief for Kenyans affected by drought. They made the decision on Tuesday during a meeting chaired by President William Ruto at State House in Nairobi. At the same time, the Kenyan Defense Forces has also contributed a percentage of their salaries to mitigate hunger. Maureen Ojiambo reports. As part of long-term measures to address the recurrent drought and the cost of living, the country is introducing measures to help more than 4 million Kenyans affected by climate emergency. 
With the country struggling to raise funds to help the affected regions, the government has come up with a mobile money transaction fund that will see Kenyans voluntarily contributing towards helping millions of people suffering from hunger. As part of the effort, 22 cabinet secretaries will contribute at least 200,000 U.S. dollars to the effort. Kenya's Cabinet Secretary for Youth Affairs, Sports and Arts, Ababu Namwamba, told Citizen TV that contributions are voluntary. And um, we wanted to show in a modest way our solidarity with uh, the rest of Kenyans who are facing such a terrible time with the drought. And, and we know that so many Kenyans are, are making, are supporting the cause. So in our small way, we, we resolved unanimously to forfeit a month's, uh, a month's pay uh, as a contribution to the kitty. Actually, it is our first ever salary our November salary. So I will not be earning a penny of it. it it's not something that I, there was no compulsion. We, we, we did it uh, on our own volition. The meeting also noted that the cost of the nation's type of food maize remains unacceptably high, currently retailing between 1.8 to 2.1 US dollars for a 2 kg packet of flour. Kenya's Deputy President Rigadi Gashagwa, who is heading the steering committee that has been mandated to mitigate the ongoing drought, he has asked salaried Kenyans to willingly set aside a percentage of their income and contribute towards the program. He says the Defence Forces and the National Youth Service employees have agreed to cooperate. We are to Kenyans of goodwill to contribute a percentage of their salaries to pay to a payable number. Already, our men and women in the Kenya Defence Forces have offered to forego one day salary to contribute to the response kit. The National Youth Service has followed suit. We appeal to Kenyans in food surplus counties to make their contributions through the offices of governors and respective county commissioners. The governors and county commissioners will work with the task force and will coordinate the transfer of food to Kenyan suffering in deficit areas. Rigadi says relief requires enhanced budgetary support from both levels of government and development partners to unlock the full potential of arid and semi-arid land counties. In addition, we set out a request to the media to make a financial or in-kite contribution in terms of airtime newspaper space to popularize this appeal. The long-term plan by President Ruto's administration to address the drought includes providing farmers with fertilizer at a subsidized cost. It's a move that will boost food production and help bring down the overall cost of production as well as the rising cost of living. At the same time, the International Fund for Agriculture Development says the high cost of food and energy continue to hit East and Southern Africa. It says this is as a result of the devastating impact of climate change that is impacting the productive capacity of small-scale farmers. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Sacramento, California. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Wednesday, November 30th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Namibia's ruling party has elected Netumbo Nande Mdetwa as the party's vice president, putting her in line to be the country's first female presidential candidate when the country leader steps down in March 2024. Vitalio Angula reports from Vinhoek. During a prolonged party congress that ended on Monday night, members of Namibia's ruling Swapo party re-elected Netumbo Nandi Daitwa, the country's deputy prime minister, as its vice president. 
according to the Swapo constitution, she'll be the party's candidate for president when the incumbent, Hage Ginkop, completes his limit of two terms of office in about 15 months. Daitwa cruised to an easy first-round victory over two other candidates, including her boss, the current prime minister. Speaking to VOA, Daitwa said she is prepared to lead. The point I want to make is there is no easy time in life so every time it is its own challenges and i can tell you whatever are the challenge there are always people who are ready to face those challenges uh this is the time i'm given in order to take the position i'm uh, i I am asking uh, party members to give me that opportunity so every time this is challenge and uh, I, I'm ready. More than 700 delegates descended upon the capital for the party's congress. Amongst the delegates were observers from nearby countries such as Mike Bima, National Political Commissar for Zimbabwe's Sanu PF Party. He commended Namibia's ruling party for ushering in new leadership through democratic systems and processes. Right from the first day, the conduct of the congress was, was very, it went on very well. And it was very purposeful. Everybody was attending and the procedures were followed diligently. We were also delighted that the election process went on well, followed the procedures, and it was very transparent. The Congress that was scheduled for three days was extended by a rerun for the Deputy Secretary General position after none of the candidates won a majority of votes in the first round. Wahekwa Herunga was later declared the winner per the Swapo Constitution, which requires a gender balance in the top four positions. The ruling party has led Namibia since independence in 1990 and commands strong support from voters, which paves the way for Ndaitwa to become the country's first female head of state. Only one woman has been elected head of state in Africa, that being Ellen Johnson Sirleaf of Liberia. Vitalio Angula for VOA News, Wintook, Namibia. At the Qatar World Cup, Tunisia will today, Wednesday, take on current world champions France. Yesterday, Tuesday, Senegal qualified for the first knockout stage of the tournament. The Lions of Taranga, current champions of Africa, beat Ecuador 2-1 on Tuesday. Ibrahima Mdia is a senior editor at Le Soleil, Senegal's daily newspaper. Congratulations to you too, to all the diaspora. I think that people is very happy and you can see and hear people celebrating. They were very happy and you see some people on the main road. Even you have people who went to the presidency because usually when Senegal win, they used to go there as last year when they win the African Cup of Nations. So everyone is very happy and we, we hope that it will be better for the 16th and also the winning of Senegal will help the other African teams to do better for their last game. This win makes it the third time that Senegal is going to the knockout stage of the World Cup. How about that? Yeah, it will be the third time. The first time was 20 years ago, in 2002. It was very, 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 very popular and it was very, very incredible. But now... People know that things can change very quickly in football and they have to pay attention. And we hope that, like the last African Cup of Nations, that better to go step by step and try to win our matches and go the far possible in this competition.
Now, Ibrahim, Senegal did this without their star player, Sadio Mane. What is the status on him? Do you think uh, he might play during the knockout stage? So, after the game today, the trainee congratulates Sadio Mane and it is for him. Victor, it is for him. And if you remember, two years ago, one of our players, who was the first Senegalese who scored during the World Cup, who scored he two, three years ago on 29, like today, the two years of his death. Yesterday, people, and even today, call the players to give their best to honor his memory. But the trainer today, after the victory, he says that it is for Sadio Mane. So Sadio Mane was not here, and we think that even if he is not here, we have other players who can try to do their best. Well, Ibrahim, let me say congratulations again to you, to Africa, to the people of Senegal. And let's pray maybe today, Wednesday, that uh, Tunisia is going to beat France and that uh, coming up on Thursday, that Morocco is going to beat Canada. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Let's pray all. And congratulations to you too. That was Ibrahim Mdia, is senior editor at Les Soleil, Senegal's daily newspaper. He was speaking with us from Dakar. As the world focuses on the Qatar 2022 World Cup, Ugandans are reminded of the unfortunate incidents during the 2010 South African Games in which Al-Shabaab suicide bombers killed scores of people in Kampala. More than 70 people died and several dozens injured in two separate suicide bombings as they watched the 2010 World Cup final. Police officials say they are on alert and have informed all football fans to be vigilant as they watch the ongoing tournament. Reporter Mugumi Davis Rakarinji has more from Kampala, Uganda. Dozens of football fans gather in Kabala Gala, a Kampala suburb, to watch a World Cup soccer match between host Qatar and Senegal. One of them is visit to St. Kabilwa. St. Kabilwa, a staunch fan of Liverpool and Brazil, says... He remembers also well the 2010 double suicide bombings in Kampala. He now watches in places that are not overcrowded. I have a security of myself. Not usually, me, I don't go in, in uh, congested places. That's me. Police said 74 people were killed and 85 more were injured in the blasts. One in this neighborhood and another attacked on the rubber grounds in Kampala City. Al-Qaeda-sponsored Al-Shabaab militants claimed responsibility in what they said was a retaliation against the presence of the Ghanaian army in Somalia as part of the African Union peacekeeping mission there. Most of those killed in the attacks were Ugandans, but the other nationals, including the Americans, Ethiopians, Eritreans, and the Kenyan. Justin Namusisi, a Senegalese fan, says she believes the police have learned lessons. Ah, you never know what will be the next, just only God who knows. But I think we are safe more than, like, for us time. Yeah, I don't see any place, so I can go anywhere and, and enjoy from there, and I watch the football from there. Another fan here, Arthur Mugerwa, says he's not bothered. You've actually just reminded me, I did, it had slipped my mind that it even happened. I actually did, didn't really put it into context that it happened, but anyway... For my sake, I'm not really scared. Uh, I think security is beefed up. As I speak, security is beefed up. Fred Enanga is a spokesman for the Uganda police. He says the police are on alert. Bar, restaurant, social entertainment center should do liaise with the respective territorial commander, the DPC, the OC station or OC post, where there is that venue. 
and then they carry out a security assessment of their venue and uh, ensuring that there are very strict access controls, not having so many entry points, having uh, controlled entry and exit points. Inanga says they have also advised proprietors to have enough personnel to monitor and report any suspicious individuals. He says so far there have not been any security-related breaches for fans watching the World Cup. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Rwakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. And that's it for this Wednesday, November 30th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for coming aboard with us this morning. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton in Washington, wishing that you will